as Judge Amy Coney Barrett, or ACB, was grilled before the Senate Judiciary Committee on Tuesday, observers noted she responded to hours of questioning on judicial matters without using any notes. President Trump's conservative nominee relied on her memory alone for the lengthy questioning process during the second day of her Supreme Court confirmation hearing. After hours of answering questions on her legal philosophy and recalling her own judgments and those of other courts, Senator John Cornyn, R. Texas, asked Barrett about how she prepared. You know, most of us have multiple notebooks and notes and books and things like that in front of us, Cornyn said. Can you hold up what you've been referring to in answering our questions? Is there anything on it? Cornyn asked. Barrett cracked a smile and held up a blank notepad that was sitting in front of her. The letterhead that says United States Senate, she responded as giggles were heard echoing throughout the room. That's impressive, Cornyn said. Senate Judiciary Committee, Chairman Lindsey Graham, RSC, kicked off the question and answer portion of Supreme Court nominee Judge Amy Coney Barrett's or ACB confirmation hearing by zeroing in on her judicial philosophy as well as comparisons to the late conservative icon Justice Antonin Scalali or Scalia. Scalia? Antonin Scalia? However you pronounce that last name. Barrett has described herself as a constitutional originalist and Graham began his questioning by having the nominee explain what that means in plain English. So in English, that means that I interpret the Constitution as a law, and that I interpret its text as text, and I understand it to have the meaning that it had at the time people ratified it, Barrett said. So that meaning doesn't change over time, and it's not up to me to update it or infuse my own policy views into it. Graham then reinforced Scalia, for whom Barrett clerked early in her career, asking how she would react to being called a female version of Scalia. I would say that Justice Scalia was obviously a mentor, and as I said when I accepted the president's nomination, that his philosophy is mine too, Barrett said. You know he was a very elegant defender of originalism, and that was also true of textualism, which is the way that I approach statutes and their interpretation. Barrett further explained that just like an originalist view of the Constitution, a textualist view of statutes means that a judge looks at a law as it was written and not by imposing their own meaning. She did note, however, that originalists and textualists can have different views of what those words mean and that just because she and Scalia have the same philosophy, they are not the same person. I want to be careful to say that if I'm confirmed, you would not be getting Justice Scalia, you'd be getting Justice Barrett, she said. And that's so because originalists don't always agree and neither do textualists. Barrett illustrated her point by referencing the disagreement Scalia had with Justice Clarence Tomlins, which showed that originalism is not a mechanical exercise. The originalist approach is usually supported by Republicans who have warned against having judges who take a more activist approach to the law by interpreting it through an ideological lens. Barrett said that she is capable of putting her personal views aside and applying the law as it was written. Millions of Americans have headed back to work since the deaths of the 
See Ward-induced recession in the spring. But nearly 13 million remain unemployed, and about 7 million more workers than pre-pandemic levels. And there are worrying trends emerging among this group. Namely, a growing share of job loss is permanent rather than temporary, and is longer term in nature, stretching out beyond six months. These trends carry negative financial effects for the unemployed and their families, including lost income, reduced likelihood of finding a job, and lower earnings when and if they get one, according to economists. The recession has hit lower wage workers and minorities who are less likely to be able to withstand these financial shocks. Harder than other groups, the impacts this will have on the community are tremendous," said Biz Manzuri, a senior attorney with the Unemployment Law Project. The mass unemployment that hit in April was overwhelmingly thought to be a temporary phenomenon that would quickly rebound as businesses reopen," Manzuri said. Nearly four in five unemployed workers, representing more than 18 million people. Work on temporary layoff at the height of the unemployment crisis and expected expected to be recalled to work. That number has since fallen to about 4.6 million, or about 37 percent of the unemployed as of September, still higher than any period since modern record keeping keeping began in the 1960s. That dynamic of the temporarily unemployed being recalled to work is the primary reason. The unemployment rate has nearly halved to 7.9 percent since April, according to economists. At the same time, permanent job loss has been increasing. In September, the number of permanent job losses grew by 345,000 to 3.8 million, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. That figure exceeds pre-pandemic levels by 2.5 million people. This suggests some layoffs, once thought temporary, have instead become permanent. Economists said. Further, companies have been gun initiating layoffs on a trajectory similar to traditional recessions. Economists said as slowdowns in consumer demand, rather than state-mandated shutdowns, lead them to cut jobs or close for good. Companies such as Allstate, American Airlines, Disney, Royal Dutch Shell, and United Airlines. Have each announced plans to cut thousands of workers in recent weeks. Special agents with the U.S. Postal Service discovered undelivered mail in trash bags placed on the curb for pickup outside the home of a postal employee in Baldwin, Pennsylvania. The agents with Postal Service's Office of Inspector General were responding to a report about undelivered mail on Sunday outside the employee's home. The employee works at the Mount Oliver Post Office, according to a statement from Postal Service. USPS OIG special agents recovered several different classes of mail, including business mail, flats, and small amount of first-class mail. Special Agent Scott Balfour told CNN in a statement, "We expect to perform a piece count of the mail today and make arrangements to have the mail delivered to customers as soon as feasible." The employee was not named in the statement, but Balfour said he is currently on a non-duty and non-pay status. Once the USPS OIG special agents conclude their investigation, the case will be presented for federal prosecution to the U.S. Attorney's Office. He said. Balfour noted that the Postal Service has 630,000 employees, and the majority, majority, are hardworking. Trustworthy individuals who work around the clock to deliver the nation's mail.
Incidents of this nature are exceedingly rare when put into that context, he said. Baldwin is a suburb of Pittsburgh, while Mount Oliver is a small town that is completely surrounded the Pittsburgh city limits. Check out fortinbox.com to master your money, personal finance lessons and courses, want to make money online, learn the forces to make money online in the description of this episode. Now feel free to give your thoughts on any of the things that we discussed in this episode because to be frank, I think it's pretty amazing. One, that ACB was able to answer all these different questions that she was getting from multiple different sources and literally not having to reference to anything right because i know myself and i would need to have written down a lot of stuff to reference back to anything that i've done or that i you know wanted to talk about or how i wanted to respond to anything like i would have to write it down right it's just the mind the way my mind works i know that it would be almost impossible for me to recite anything that i wanted to in like a coherent manner Unless it was written down, right? That's me personally. But I know that's the case for a lot of people. So the fact that she was able to do that, regardless of, you know, your views on her, right? It's pretty amazing. Now, there are some people like that who have, like, photographic memories and all that kind of stuff. But the retention is amazing to me. Like, it's pretty interesting. And it's so it was so interesting that even people who were watching it, took note of it because it was a whole big thing apparently on Twitter that she was literally not writing anything down and still was able to answer the questions. So that's pretty interesting. Feel free to give your thoughts on that. And also specifically for this whole like male situation and the most recent one that we talked about, this kind of shows you the problem with mail-in votes. Again, regardless of your political position, the fact that there is a human element outside your control in this kind of like form makes it very scary, right? Like if you care about voting, you should not vote by mail. You should go in person, you know, preferably by early voting, by going there in person early, possibly waiting in line because in some states people are having to wait in line. But it's a much better way to know for sure that this is actually going to happen, right? For instance, if I were to ship anything for to anyone for any reason, right? Even if I prepaid the stuff in advance, right? I would want to get a receipt in person to make certain that basically FedEx or USPS actually took a hold of the package so that, you know, I know that they are actually responsible for it, right? It's like the same reason where there's a whole other thing that's going on recently online with like Robinhood getting hacked. Well, some people's Robinhood accounts getting hacked, right? And a lot of ways that this is actually happening is because of basically a SIM card transfer hack that people are doing, where basically they're kind of like convincing your phone company, your phone carrier, to basically give them your SIM card, right, by pretending to be you, right? And the best way to avoid that is to, like, basically have it in writing that you will only 
like only allow like me right only allow like a change of sim card or a brand new sim card or ordering of a sim card or replacement of a sim card or phone number and all that kind of stuff by being physically in person at a you know franchised store right that's like one of the best ways to do it but you need it in writing because if you have it in writing you can basically sue the phone carrier for blatantly disregarding what you told them to do and that you had it in writing and that they agreed to it right this is the whole point of having receipts this is the whole point of doing things in person as much as you can so that you know 100 percent you did what you were supposed to do correctly right like that's the only way to make 100 percent sure that you did everything that you were supposed to do correctly and that you actually put it in there and that you know that it's actually going to be going to the right place right at the right time so just keep that in mind no matter what your views are politically or anything like that always try to get receipts always try to make sure that you know that you are doing everything that you 